This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, September 30th. I'm Jared Stepman. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today, we share Rob's interview with Raynard Jackson, president and CEO of Raynard Jackson and Associates, a political strategist and a friend of the Heritage Foundation. Plus, we read your letters to the editor and a good news story about one child sponsorship organization that has just flipped the script on their sponsorship model. Before we get to today's show, I want to give my colleague Jarrett Stepman a moment to share a little bit about his new book. Thank you very much, Virginia. My new book called The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past, which breaks down American history and talks about how it's under attack by many on the left, set to be released this week, October 1st. And I'm going to have an interview with Katrina Trinko, who's an editor with The Daily Signal, who will talk to me about that book this week. That's great. That's great. I look forward to hearing the interview, and I'm really excited to read the book, Jarrett. Thank you, Virginia. Absolutely. Now, stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. I'm joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Raynor Jackson. He's the president and CEO of Raynor Jackson & Associates, a great political strategist in Washington, D.C., and a longtime friend of... Our president, Kay Coles-James on the Heritage Foundation. It's great to have you in the studio. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. You know, you and I are somebody, uh, we get to know each other uh, at a meeting that we both attended on Capitol Hill. And the thing that I loved about you is you were always bringing new ideas to the table, uh, particularly about how conservatives can do a better job of communicating and taking their ideas into the black community. You've written a piece for the Daily Signal about this. Uh, you recently had a meeting at the White House about this. So I'm hoping that we can spend some time here in this interview hearing some of your ideas and uh, and how conservatives can do a better job. So I look thanks forward for joining to it. Us. Thank you. So you write uh, for the Daily Signal, uh, your first column that you've, you've written Yay. for us, uh, that uh, the black community is naturally conservative. What do you mean by that? Well, within the black community, despite what the liberal media projects us to be, we are very conservative, very church-going. And I'm telling you, even today, Rob, there is a strict sense of discipline in the black household, whether it's a traditional family or a single parent. Um, Black women, they don't play with their kids. If you get out of line, you're going to get spanked, period. And the black family is the key to the strength in the black community because I remember— when growing up as a little kid, I would sit on my grandmother's lap and she would sit up there and talk about what's right, what's wrong, what to do, what not to do, family history. And and so when I even when I was in college, I would come home on a weekend and my parents were fine with me going out with my fellas, hanging out at the club and all that stuff. But come Sunday morning, eight o'clock, it's like, boy, are you ready to go to church? Not, boy, are you going to church? It was no option. So, yeah, I could hang out all night, 7, 8 in the morning if I wanted to. But come 8 o'clock, we're going to church, period. And I think those values that you get from having that belief in faith and, and going to a religious organization like a church, uh, you know, certainly it's definitely in alignment with the traditional American values that conservatives seem to embrace. Then where do you see the challenge then that conservatives face in terms of breaking through and communicating uh, to members of that community? Well, it's very simple. When you say conservative to black folks, what we hear is Strom Thurmond, Jesse Helms back in the day. And for your audience who may not be familiar, Strom Thurmond and Jesse Helms, Strom Thurmond ran on a state's rights on the Dixiecrat ticket in 1948 for president. 
Jesse Helms, Senator from North Carolina, Strom Thurmond, Senator from South Carolina, segregationist, racist, but both of them over a period of years, they kind of left that legacy and they became very supportive, for example, of historically black colleges, which you have several of them in South and North Carolina. But that's what we hear. And so what I tell conservatives, as opposed to using the word conservative, a better term in the black community is traditional values. Because, again, that transports you back when you were a little kid sitting on grandma's lap. And that's just kind of a verbal nuance that conservatives need to understand. That's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. But I want to ask you, because historically, going back to Abraham Lincoln, I mean, the Republican Party for for its at least early history was associated in many ways with the abolitionist movement and helping, obviously, to fight the Civil War and and to, to give blacks and African-Americans those those rights. And then all of a sudden, today, it's the complete opposite. So what? Where, where did the Republican Party, now I'd separate that from conservatives specifically, go wrong? Well, number one, they decided to throw away the black vote in 1968 with the adoption by President Nixon of the Southern Strategy, which, which meant they decided there were, there was worth more for them to go after white Southern Democrats, the old Dixiecrats in the South, at the expense of the black community who'd been the most loyal voting bloc up until that time for the Republican Party. We were how blacks are today for the Democrats. We were that same type of loyalty to the Republicans back in the day. And even with that, um, Nixon got a third of the black vote, even with that. And so until Republicans, Rob, and the conservative movement deal with this issue of race, they will never, ever get a massive amount of black support, period. But you're you're taking it head on. I mean, you yeah. went to Florida. You worked for Governor Ron DeSantis, then candidate Ron DeSantis, and you made significant inroads. And really, in that close election, were able to, I think, make up the difference. So tell us what happened in Florida and how you were able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Governor DeSantis is a good friend, and when he was in Congress last September, a year ago this week, this month, rather, matter of fact. He called me after he became the nominee and asked me to come down and serve as one of his senior advisors. And, of course, I agreed to it. And he said, hey, I want you to go and just do what you do. I know the kind of work you you can do. And you let me know what you need from the campaign. And we're going to make sure we get it to you. We were polling at 2% of the black vote then. We ended up getting 17% of the wow. black vote. And the two issues that resonated was entrepreneurship and school choice and vouchers. And our opponent, Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee at the time, two of his campaign platforms were to raise taxes on small minority businesses and to get rid of the school choice voucher program in Florida. And the governor, DeSantis, said that, no, those are two of my strongest planks. As a result of that, we got just enough black support that that was his margin of victory. And if we can replicate that across the country and within the conservative movement, blacks will support a conservative candidate, but no one goes into the community and asks for their support. Well, more recently, you were at the White House with uh, a number of other uh, black Americans who uh, went to the press secretary, went to the vice president's uh, communications director and others and talked about the importance of making sure that the message is getting out. I want to ask you two parts. I want to hear more about the meeting and why it was so significant. I understand that a meeting like this didn't take place when President Obama was in the White House. And secondly, 
I want to hear your assessment of President Trump and his policies and how they have impacted the black community. Well, interesting. Two interesting questions. We, the newspaper, National Newspaper Publishers Association, NNPA, that's a consortium of the over 200 black newspapers in the country. Their executive board was in town two weeks ago for some other meetings. And so they have been complaining because they syndicate my weekly column to over these 200 newspapers about access to the administration. When their reporters are trying to do stories, they can't get calls returned because no one knows who they are. And a lot of time, let's face it, Rob, conservatives and Republicans, when they get a call from a, a black media outlet, that, their default position is it's going to be a hit piece. So therefore, we don't return their call. And that I, that's garbage. And so I called the White House and me and Pastor Mark Burns, a close supporter of the president's, and the White House, Stephanie Grisham, Hogan Gitley, and Darren Miller from the vice president's press office, they were so excited. They said, can we get a meeting with them this week while they're in town? And we said, yeah. And they moved heaven and earth on their schedule to sit and spend an hour with us to talk about what these newspaper publishers' issues were. And we got a lot of work done. And that issue of access, they committed then that that would no longer be an issue. Let me make sure our listeners know you wrote about this meeting directly in Life Zet. Encourage our our listeners to check out uh, your piece. It's called Trump's White House Does More for Black Media Members Than Liberal Press Will Ever Tell You. And then also Fred Lucas, our White House correspondent at The Daily Signal, covered the story as well. It's headline Trump White House Pledges to Boost Outreach to Black Media Outlets. So we encourage our listeners to check out both of those stories to learn more. So tell me a little bit about the Trump administration and the policies. Uh, You and I got to know each other during the tax cut push uh, back in 2017. Of course, that was a big initiative in the president's first year. Uh, You helped take that message to new communities. Uh, It's obviously had a tremendous impact on the economy overall. Uh, We also see that uh, black unemployment is at record lows. Is President Trump getting the credit that he deserves for of the policies he's put in place? Of course not. The liberal media is not going to do it for sure. And within the black media, I think, and we talked about this at the White House, and I was over there last week talking with them as well, the follow-up on some other issues. We need, we the administration and Republicans and conservatives, we need to do a better job of effectively communicating the successful legislation that this administration has done that's benefiting the black community. This administration had done a lot to help the historically black colleges that has not been, the story has not been effectively told. And so when the president goes to his town hall and rallies across the country and talks about the low unemployment in the black community, those are great statistics. But as I told the White House, we have to breathe life into those statistics, put meat on those bones, and we have to show the human face of those statistics, and we have to start bringing out human faces and putting a face with those statistics. And I'm, and they want to have another conversation next week about what that means on, on, on a practical level. What I told them, for example, when the White House talks about the tax cut in 2017 that we worked on, wouldn't it be great for the president to have two or three black entrepreneurs 
to talk about how their firm has benefited from the tax cut. And as a result of those tax cuts, they've had to hire more people and how their revenues have increased as a result. But now, now we got something to work with. We got a visual and we got the fact that Republicans and conservatives are great at statistics, horrible at weaving a story. Well, those sound like great stories that we'd like to tell at the Daily Signal. So let's uh, let's keep in touch about that. We've uh, we've done several already about the tax cuts, and I think that there are certainly more that uh, have gone untold. So so we'd like to know more about them. Now we've we talked about some of the economic pieces. Obviously, uh, HBCUs is another piece that you brought up. What are some of the other policies that you think President Trump might not be getting credit for that have had an impact positively on the black community? Oh, religious freedom. Not only just overseas, because that's a big issue. Christians are being persecuted, for example, in northern Nigeria. And no one talks about that. Boko Haram is there. And if they find out you are a Christian, they will put a a, a tire, car tire around your neck, set it on fire and torture you. Yes. And uh, they force little girls who say they're Christian either to renounce their Christianity, they rape them, and then kill them. That's going on right now. And then domestically— a lot of black churches are very frustrated until tr- President Trump comes along because some of these churches are getting federal money, but then being told, if you take federal money, you cannot talk about Christianity and faith because you took federal money. And President Trump is saying, no, we want you to take federal money if you're impacting your local community. And we know that your success is predicated on your Christian faith and values instilling in those constituents you're working with. So it's foolish to deny you opportunity because of faith, because faith is the one that keeps these people off of drugs and out of being homelessness, homeless. And so the federal government wants you to stop preaching the solution. Really? And so he and he's getting a lot of credit for that in the black church. That had that story has not been told. That's great to know. That's great to know. You know, the thing I love about your columns is that you're very honest. Uh, you tell it like it is. You're you're not afraid to pull you know punches and whatnot. And and you you've tackled some tough topics. I mean, you're you're not afraid to call out people when you think that they've done something wrong. So tell me, how, what how do you approach writing your column and and choosing the topics that you do? And and what kind of feedback do you get when uh, when sometimes you maybe you touch on a more controversial issue? Well, Rob, thanks a lot for helping me out with this. Okay, <laughs> good thing you're not a public. Man. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, what's funny is, and a lot of my clients in music, because you know, I work a lot with R&B artists, and we're in the studio talking, and they are amazed that my writing is the same as their writing songs. There's really no difference, because a lot of times I sit down at the keyboard, I may have in my mind I'm going to write about subject matter A, but then my fingers just kind of take a life of their own. And what I originally sat down to write about has nothing to do with what I just wrote. And so a lot of time I just stream of consciousness and I have no idea what I'm going to write until I actually sit at the keyboard and I see the finished product. And as I go back over some of the columns that I've written, it's like, that came out of you? I'm stunned. And so, yeah, you're right, Rob. So I've been accused of being blunt and very honest, but I'm just at a point in life, Rob, where I just don't have time to be all touchy-feely. If you ask me a question or if I take a position, everything I've ever written in the column, I believe. So it's not like I'm writing for effect or to cause controversy. If I write it, I believe it, period. And so a lot of times when I call out people, what's amazing is 
I get so many emails saying, I'm glad you said that they don't want to call out people because and, and I've had some people in the party, to be honest with you, Rob, call me and said, hey, if you tone down some of your writings, we could help you with more opportunity within the party. And my response is, my integrity is not for sale. My columns are for sale, but not my integrity. And yes, I probably have been denied some opportunities because of some of the bluntness in my column. But I challenge anyone who reads my column, Rob, to argue with me about the truthfulness of what I wrote. Now, you may not like what I wrote. You may not like the verbiage I use, but you're not going to argue with my facts. Those are true and they're verifiable. And so I'm willing to live with the consequences. Well, it takes a lot of courage to to have strong opinions. And uh, and I certainly appreciate uh, sitting across from somebody who does and has has the integrity to to do that. So thank you. You know, I want to ask you about one of the recent ones because I, I found it uh, so enlightening. Donald Trump is the Dennis Rodman of politics. Tell me how you came up with that. Well, it, it's funny. <laughs> Some what MSNBC was doing a slam piece on the president as they usually do, and and um, and something popped on my computer screen about Dennis Rodman, and I'm like, that's interesting. Donald Trump is the Dennis Rodman of politics, meaning a lot of people think Dennis Rodman was crazy. He was a fool. He was a buffoon. But then when you stop to think about it. He was so good at what he did, Dennis Rodman. Yes. Not one person in the NBA would have turned down an opportunity to have Dennis Rodman on their team. Dennis Rodman played for the, the Chicago Bulls and the San Antonio Spurs and a few other teams. And what was so interesting about him, a lot of people had a problem with his antics off the court. When him, Remember when he wore the wedding dress? Most people didn't realize he got paid $10 million to wear that dress. You offer me that, Rob, I'm in a dress tonight, okay? <laughs> but the thing about it is when Dennis Rodman showed up on the court, he was, remember, he was named seven times in a row NBA Player of the Year. He was the rebound leader for seven to ten years in a row. So when he got on the court, he delivered the goods. So it is with President Trump. You may not like some of his tweets. You may not like how he responds to him being attacked by opponents, but if you go to war, you want him in the foxhole with you because if you lose, the guy that won is going to have blood all over them. And that's what conservatives like about this president. He fights for the conservative agenda. And so so with the president comes a lot of theatrics and, and drama, like Dennis Rodman, but there's nobody— privately who's going to say I wouldn't want this president on my side and that's how I connected the two that's certainly true that <laughs> definitely is Radar Jackson you're a Pulitzer Award uh, nominated columnist uh, you can find uh, your most recent work at dailysignal.com uh, what haven't we talked about that you'd like our listeners to know about you well about me most folks are shocked when they find I went to Oral Roberts University and uh, I'm from St. Louis and one of the things I used to work with Oral for four years, I used to be one of the cameramen for the TV show. And he would always tell me, go into every man's world and meet them at the point of their need. And I've never forgotten that. And any student there remembers that. I mean, they may forget their mother's name, but they're not going to forget that statement Oral Roberts used to say. And so back in the day when I moved up here in the early 90s, uh, Rob, 
I would be walking down the street, like on K Street, like K and 9th and 10th, 11th, 12th Street, which is all upscale now. Back in the day, you used to have prostitution and drug dealers and all. So I may be walking down the street with a friend, and you would have prostitutes calling me by name. And my buddies look at me like, whoa, these girls actually know your name? Are you patron? I say, heck no. But what I found interesting about or go into every man's world and meet them at the point of their need— I would go into the red light district where the prostitutes were. I just wanted to hear their story. And you know what, Rob? Most of these women who were on the street corner were not dumb people. A lot of them had college degrees. But they fell on various levels of hard times, and they did what they had to do to make it. Now, whether I agree with it or not, but I just found when you make choices, I don't have to agree with your choice to find out, to, 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 to just sit down and talk with you to find out what your story is. And a lot of them I ended up helping out and transitioning to getting back on their feet. But, uh, you know, people tend to believe that if a person doesn't agree with you, somehow you should have nothing to do with it. And I'm just the opposite. And people are amazed when I walk into a Democrat event, which I go to a lot of them, they're like, wait a minute, I thought you were Republican. Yeah, I am very Republican, but my buddy's hosting this event, so I'm coming out to support him. I don't agree with a daggone thing he's saying politically, but he's my buddy. Well, that is, that is a theme it seems we keep touching on on this show, and it's really important for, for our listeners to, to remember that, uh, as you said, meet people where they are. Um, you don't necessarily have to agree with everything that they believe in, but there are a lot of things that uh, that we can do, uh, particularly conservatives can do, to I think make inroads if if we show up and uh, and engage in conversation. And see, Rob, it's, um, it's, it's interesting you said, it. and this is the opportunity I think that this president, the Heritage Foundation, and the conservative movement all have in common that black folks are allies already. But we just never get invited to the party, number one. And the other thing, and maybe we can talk about this at a future date, Rob, one thing conservatives really need to understand is when they talk to the black community, they force us to make a Hobson's choice, meaning they ask us, which are you? Are you black or are you Republican? Are you black or are you conservative? As though you can't be both. And so a lot of times, and I think you and I talked about this, sometimes Republicans and conservatives do and say things that we in the black community find offensive, and we call them out on that. That doesn't mean we're not good party people and good conservatives, but we can't have credibility in our community and try to ignore and justify an indignity done by someone in the movement. And so a lot of times when I've criticized the party in my columns, like you indicated— I'll get emails from influential people in the party and the movement saying, well, we thought you were on our side and you criticized. It's like I don't have to give up my blackness to be a part of the movement. I can be both, but wrong is wrong. And that doesn't mean because I criticize my party that I'm not a good supporter. The reason I stay in this party, Rob, when part of me tells me to leave this party because of some of the things we go through as black the best way, that's the easy part would, me, would be for me to leave the party. The sign of a true leader is one who stands in the middle of difficulty and try to make it better from within. And that's why when a lot of my Democratic friends say, why do you not leave this party with the racist rhetoric coming out? It's like, yeah, that's easy for me to do. And then what? But if I stay engaged and keep speaking out using the media platform that I have, Rob, with the, the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation and other outlets, 
I can make change on the inside and make the movement and the party better for all of America. And that's what my goal is. Well, as a fellow American, I applaud you for taking the harder course and not the easier path because uh, we really need you out there advocating for for these ideas and making sure that uh, using media effectively, I think that that's so important. And that's one of the reasons we created The Daily Signal and why it's why we're so proud to have you as a, as a new contributor to our team. So Raynard Jackson, how do our listeners go and find more about you if they want to follow you on Twitter or social media or other places? Yes, uh, Raynard1223 is my Twitter. Or just Google me. All my social media pops up. Black Americans for a Better Future is my uh, 527 Super PAC, BAFBF, and my corporate consultant inside is RaynardJackson.com and Rob, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Time has gone by too fast, but maybe you'll have me back again over the next 30 or 40 years. <laughs> we certainly will. Hopefully a lot sooner than that. Raynard Jackson has been my guest. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Virginia, who's up first? In response to Angela Saylor's article, America isn't just where I live, it's my home, Michael Sorge writes, Beautifully and wisely spoken, Angela. As President Lincoln said, quote, The best way for one to get ahead is to become the best you can, never worrying that another wishes, you, wishes to hinder you, end quote. Good people persistently press on doing good things regardless of and through any and all obstacles. I'm honored to be your brother in humanity. And in response to Rob Bluey's article, Keep Doing What You're Doing, Mike Pence's mission as vice president, Martha Wills writes, I already thought our vice president was an honest man in spite of reading a negative biography about him. I've lived a long time and have learned to watch people. What they do in relation to what they say. A politician can say anything, but what they do and are actually able to accomplish is quite different. I appreciated the story because you reported what you actually heard with your own ears. Vice President Pence is for real, and so is President Trump. Thank you for what you do. Keep it up. Your letter could be featured on next week's show. Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205. It's Monday. And what better way to start your week than with some good news? Virginia, over to you. Thanks, Jarrett. Well, I have some great news to share today. I'm sure that we have all heard about child sponsorship organizations, nonprofits that will match a family or an individual with a child in need, often in a different country. Financial sponsorship will provide for a child's school fees, clothes, food, and so forth. And traditionally, how this works is that the family or individual looks at a number of pictures and they choose which child they want to sponsor. For years, this is how World Vision operated. World Vision is a Christian humanitarian organization headquartered in West Virginia, but with locations all over the world. They help children and families to overcome poverty and injustice. And like so many other sponsorship programs, they had always showed sponsors pictures of children and allowed the sponsors to choose. But now they have flipped the script. Kids are now able to choose their sponsor from a large board of photos. The new model is called Chosen, 
and was beautifully explained in a recent promotional video by World Vision. I'm going to leave a link to the video in the show notes, and I really encourage you to watch it because it is just so touching. But I want to play a, a quick portion of that video now. Now, the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future, to pursue their God-given gifts, to become change makers in their communities, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. World Vision featured the story of one little Kenyan girl named Mary Nzoiki. Mary is eight years old and wants to be a lawyer when she grows up. For her sponsor, Mary chose Yinika Olambabi, age 35, to be her sponsor. Olambabi lives in Chicago and is a lawyer, and she was overwhelmed when she saw the video of Mary, her sponsor child. Wine, and we all have a, an opportunity to love on one another and to support one another. I even feel like it's giving me big shoes to fill in terms of, you know, being a great example for her, knowing that she saw something in me and, you know, wants to partner together in life. So she's giving me a lot. The idea of allowing a child to choose their sponsor is so simple, yet so profound. To learn more about The Chosen Campaign, you can visit worldvision.org. Thanks for sharing that wonderful story, Virginia. Yeah, it's uh, definitely encouraging and just a, a pretty incredible model. I definitely encourage our, our listeners to, to take a look and find out more. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast comes to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network. All our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash briefing. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It really means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.